just about to say, you can get surf and turf there for $15 or less. Allie, we got four entrees and we were drinking Maker's Mark all night. Didn't get any beer, just Maker's Mark. The bill was $70. I love it there. I love it too. And the food is like good. Like it's not great, but it's good. But you bring down, when you go in, when I go in, I bring down the average age by 30 years. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) It's so it great. It is the craziest place. There are and so many leopard print tops on uh, women that are too old for leopard print. It's perfect. And yeah, I found out that he keeps the prices low because he's like, people in Parkville deserve a place to eat that's in their price range that feels nice. I love that. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I yes. really like that now because I've always liked that going there. Me too. Because it was close to my house and I felt like I could get a babysitter and go out and get food for cheap. Yeah. And come home and, and have, have a good to, time. Yeah. Pay the babysitter and still feel good. Yeah. Like... Uh, what was it? Um, a vodka soda is two dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> I got an old fashioned for four dollars. Oh my gosh, four dollars! Is it nineteen twenty? Like, oh no, that would be really expensive because of bootlegging. Yeah, nineteen fifty. <laughs> Apparently, at Jerry D's, it is Jerry D's in Parkville. Promo for the evening. Yeah, please go there. Uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> All right, but we're not here to talk about Jerry D's. <laughs> We're going to talk about her story on the rocks with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. No. <laughs> this week I felt like an idiot. Oh, me too. Yeah. I yeah. was like, I don't know anything about this world. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious as to who you're doing now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like blindsided by everything (laughs) no idea i know mine is like a delegate history where i was like oh my god if i like mess this up i'm gonna feel really bad because i don't know a lot about it um i'm just gonna feel like a dummy it's fine fine. um so are we ready to get started we are but everybody's busy they're not ready no Mm -mm. um it's warming up they're cleaning their windows you are (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Stop it. <laughs> Swear to God. What? <laughs> you're cleaning your windows. You're getting the inside and the outside. You are climbing baby. up in your dormer. <laughs> You've got the scrub brush. You're hanging on the outside of your house. You're being a lunatic. <laughs> you don't have a, a ladder. Um, no scaffolding here. No, none of that. Um, so because you're so precarious, you can't stop the podcast to look up what these women <laughs> look like. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little... Physical, physical. Allie, who? Oh no! What is she? I'm so used to saying it the other way. What does your person look like? I want to guess. Okay, (laughs) my person is a Chinese American woman with long, straight black hair parted in the middle. She has an oval face and traditionally wears sleek black, white, gray, (gasps) or navy blue clothing. I typically picture her with sunglasses on. While you may not recognize a picture of her at first (laughs) glance, you'll absolutely recognize some of her designer creations. Are you doing beer away? I'm doing beer away. That's so exciting. Oh, my God. I am the least educated person in the world of fashion (laughs) ever, ever. I'm going to sound like a big dummy. And I'm second story, so I'm going to be drunk. Yeah, no, it's going to be perfect. Is that Armani? Armani? (laughs) Armani? Gooky? (laughs) Coco Channel? (laughs) We covered her. I covered her. Throwback to the cocktail caviar. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Reboot today. 
what am I drinking? Because there's bubbles in it. Oh, no. I have to say what my person looks like. Oh, shit. Yeah. Do that. Okay. You're not going to know who this is, but my person is a native Alaskan woman. No idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With dark hair, which is typically curled and kind of piled atop her head in a very 1940s style. Um, She has small, dark eyes, very thin, arched eyebrows, a pointed nose, but like really high cheekbones. Uh, She always dresses very well, sometimes even in a really snazzy fur coat. But in the most famous picture of her, She's wearing a floral collared dress with small gold hoops. I am doing Elizabeth Paratrovich. No idea who that is, <laughs> but I love gold hoop energy. Yes. So and she much. has all of it. Or Paratrovich. 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 Who I knows? Think. I don't um, know. But I'll, Yeah, you don't know. But if you aren't around me, then you don't know that I wear gold hoops every, every day. Every day. Different sizes. <laughs> Sometimes I have big hoop energy and they like go down to like my shoulders, but I wear a pair of gold hoops every day, which is odd because I don't wear gold jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> but I wear gold hoops. I mean, the hoops have to be gold. So dumb. I should get my name scrawled across them. Well, yeah. I already have the Hufflepuff ones you got me okay okay drink the drink pink drink called the clinket spritz it is gin orange bitters strawberry simple syrup lemon juice and you've put cocktail caviar in and you top it with champagne so by the balls so i put a ton of cocktail caviar in mine just so i could take the picture you don't have to put this much Uh, a light touch is fine um the cocktail caviar is fun because if you pop it in your mouth it's liquor inside vodka inside yeah it's vodka inside of which i'm probably not gonna do that yeah because i have a job tomorrow yes so (laughs) cheers Mm. delicious and like the cocktail caviar flavor is blueberry wild flower or something like that it's really tasty and when i was thinking about a cocktail i was like okay alaska blue ice cold and then i was like but like i was watching all these videos about like the native clinket tribe and like they're you know the way they're dressed is so bright and colorful and I was like, also, it's not winter all the time in Alaska. And like, (laughs) (laughs) it gets up to 70. Um, And, you know, like they grow strawberries there and fruit. And like, I was like, there's much more than just ice in Alaska. So I was like, more than ice and Sarah Palin. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to make a really bright, fun, like tasty, sweet cocktail. That's excellent. Uh, And I feel like I accomplished it. Tastes pretty good. (laughs) It does. I think it's very sweet. It's bubbly and fresh. I would Mm. drink it at brunch with my friends. Oh, yeah. I would totally drink this. Yeah. Um, Okay. So what do you know about Elizabeth Paratrovich? I don't know anything about her um, at all. And I know very, very little about Alaska, except that we bought it from Russia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or they who shall not be named. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But really, I... I don't know. We did an episode on Sarah Palin. She's from yeah. there. Mm-hmm. There she is. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Tell me about Alaska. Is okay. she Inuit? Um, no. So okay. like Inuit is, um, she is, um, Klingit. Okay. So we'll get into like the different, uh, tribes in that area. Okay. Um, I don't know if they fall under the Inuit umbrella. umbrella. Um, <laughs> Not going. I was kind of unclear about that. Cause I know like Inuit is more like native Canadians, okay. I believe, and like further up North. Um, 
So I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that, but we will get into the native Alaskan tribes. Okay, excellent. Um, Give me the deets. Okay, so I got most of this actually from one podcast. Uh, I don't know her, which mm. is aptly named. We love them; <laughs> they're so good, and they did such great research. I was like, "Where the fuck are they getting this information?" Because mm. it was so good. They're the um, ones that have like the it's like a yellow cover, and it's the girl it's Hedy Lamar over her eyes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so they were a huge help. I'm thinking maybe they read the book because there is a book about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I got some from Wikipedia, um, but yeah, mostly from the I Don't Know Her podcast. Okay. Elizabeth Wanamaker was born on July 4th, 1911 in Petersburg, Alaska. She was born a member of the Shukahari clan or the Coho Salmon clan, uh, which is also why I put the cocktail caviar in because I feel like it looks like salmon, salmon roe. Yeah, it looks like salmon eggs. So, <laughs> And it's like a very salmon-y color. Yeah, it is. Because um, fishing is really, really important in this um, area. Uh, so, uh, in the Raven Mwati, um, of the Klingit nation, uh, her Klingit name is Coxalot. I don't, I couldn't find like a pronunciation on that because it was her name. Um, but it's, uh, that she does have a Klingit name, uh, and Klingit means people of the tides. They are just one of the native tribes of Alaska. The others, um, tribes include the Alouettes from the island, um, areas, uh, the Inupiat from the north, the Uit from the south, the Athabascans from the interior, and the Klingit and the Haida are from the southeast coast. So again, they're on the coast, which means fishing and water and salmon and all of that are very important in her culture. Um, so Sources differ a bit on her childhood. Uh, some say that she was orphaned. Others say that her mother, a native Alaskan woman, and her father, an Irishman, uh, gave her up. So I was kind of unclear. I was like, did they die or did they? It sounded like they just kind of they just gave her up um, to the Salvation Army shortly after her birth. Um, but either way, she was adopted by Andrew and Jean Wanamaker. Andrew was a fisherman and a Presbyterian minister. And Jean was a basket weaver. Uh, both were members of the Klingit tribe. So thankfully, Elizabeth was able to grow up in her birth culture. Oh, that's great. A lot of these kids did not get to do, especially if they were adopted, which is amazing. And she's fluent in the Klingit language, which is so important. Um, she could also speak English. And I think she spoke Russian as well. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, they never had much money, so they lived a very modest life in Sitka, which is a coastal city in the archipelago of Southeast Alaska. Um, but eventually they moved a hundred miles Southeast to Klawak, Klawak, uh, which is a native village on Prince of Wales Island. Uh, so they moved there when she was 10 years old. Now, if you don't know, this is an interesting time in Alaskan history because this is still a territory. They didn't become a state until 1959. So it begs the question, what was life like for a native Alaskan girl like Elizabeth Wanamaker? So before she was born, Alaska had been a Russian territory. And early on, they had a lot of trade routes in the area. And one of the main hubs was her hometown of Sitka, where native Alaskans often worked with the Russians, um, which meant they typically spoke Klingit, Russian, and English. Uh, And apparently the Russians and the natives coexisted pretty peacefully. Mm. Um, Everybody worked together, but kind of kept to themselves. You know, they 
like they said it was like fine you know it wasn't that big of a deal well i mean north northeastern russia is such like a tribal region right anyway it's so much different than like what you find in the european half or even the southern half of russia yeah exactly Uh, But then in 1867, Russia sold the territory to the United States for $7.2 million, which is less than two cents per acre. So really cheap for land that wasn't Russia's to sell in the first place. Uh, Let's make that clear. Um, So white Americans obviously obviously started moving up there in droves, uh, especially after they found gold in northern Alaska. Mm. So a lot of people were very critical of this. They're like, why the fuck did we buy this? It's a barren wasteland, da 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 um, And it wasn't, it's like, okay, I mean, there are people that live there and have for, you know, millions of years or whatever. So <laughs> like, clearly it's not a wasteland. So clearly land. it's not a wasteland, uh, and they're thriving, so whatever. But once they found gold, then they people really started moving up there. Mm. White people. Um, and then they suddenly began to segregate the Alaskan territory. <laughs> of course. Here we go. Native Alaskans were not allowed access to public spaces such as restaurants, beauty parlors, etc. And of course, school. Um, they also forced the native people to get permits every time they wanted to cut down a tree or fish in the stream. <laughs> It totally disrupted everything about their way of life and made everything about like Klingit culture and like native Alaskan culture, basically illegal. It was illegal just to be a part of your heritage. It was ridiculous. Um, and to paint a picture of how things were, um, just six years before Elizabeth was born, there was a young Alouette girl who petitioned a judge to go to the local public school because she wanted an education. She was like, look, I come from a Christian family. She was like, one of my parents is native Alaskan, but like my like dad or whatever is white. She was like, I don't really know this culture she was like i'm doing like literally the same things as every other like white girl in my town so like why can't i go to school there's nothing separating us except for like the ethnicity of my dad and or my mom or whatever whoever it was um but the judge denied her request saying that she was still too uncivilized because over the summer she attended a fishing camp with her native grandmother it's just such <laughs> the plight of like mixed race people in right. a segregated society. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't belong no matter what group you are in at that moment. Right. No matter what you do. So like, I, go to, I go to church every Sunday like everybody else. Right. I can't go to school. But I'm not uncivilized because I went and visited my grandma. That actually yeah, makes I, me like a great person. I know. <laughs> um, so now their mere existence is just basically illegal. And people were like this is not okay Mm. uh so in 1912 a group of men started the alaska native brotherhood uh to start standing up for themselves and uh, elizabeth's father was not just a regular member but he was a founding member of this group so from an early age elizabeth was very aware that this was not okay and that she had a voice to like change things which is wonderful um She, of course, grew up attending Alaskan elementary schools because she was banned from the white schools. Uh, But she was allowed to go to a public high school named Ketchikan High School. Um, If you think this is a big step, keep in mind that it was 70 miles away from her home. (coughs) Holy hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is she, like, taking a sled I don't know what she's doing. Like, like, I'm guessing, like, they had cars and stuff. There's, like, the... 
thir- like late thirties. No. She's taking 40s. the Iditarod yeah, she, road yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to this school. Um, but yeah, it's seventy miles away. So like literally, just to get to school, she had to travel about like probably two hours every day. Oh, didn't she just sleep there? Just sleep there, girl. She probably did. Maybe she had like a relative nearby that she mm. could stay with. I really don't know. Again, we don't know too much about her early life, right? Um, and the only reason she was even allowed to attend this school was because a Klingit man sued the school board and did win like the right for native children to attend. So that's like, even just her opportunity to get to the school was difficult, ridiculous. Um, but good thing she found a school because she was then able to attend college. After that, she went to Sheldon Jackson college, uh, back in the port town of Sitka, and then furthered her education at the Western College of Education in Bellingham, Washington, hmm. uh, which is where my family lived, uh, which is now a part of Western Washington University, um, which I wonder if that was the place where my uncle taught, the one with the eye patch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. It could. I don't know. While she was in college in Washington State, she met a fellow Klingit man, uh, also with mixed ancestry, named Roy Scott uh, Petr... Petrovich. Yeah, that sounds right. Petrovich. Right? Parat- no, Paratrovich. Paratrovich. Um, it's like it not I it's like not a name I've ever heard before. Not quite Russian. Paratrovich. <laughs> uh, no, it's Serbian actually. Um, oh, there you go. Yes. Uh so he was half Klingit and half Serbian, which is okay. why we get this kind of very uh Eastern European uh sounding name. Um, so they married on December 15th, 1931, when she was just 20 years old and they decided to move back to their homeland of Alaska and they settled in the town of Klawak. Roy worked in a cannery and then he became a police officer, then the chief clerk and eventually the postmaster. Wow. He wore a lot of hats in this town. The postmaster. Um, and then because he had become such a big part of the community, he eventually became mayor. He was elected mayor a total of four times, so I guess he was pretty good at it. That's pretty impressive. Um, Now, it is a small town. In 2010, the population was only around 800 people. Fine. Uh, But (laughs) even though they were a really big part of the community and they felt really at home there, he's the mayor, Hmm. they're like, okay, but we kind of want to do better things. Like, yes, we're safe and secure in this small town of just people like us. They're like, but... There's still a lot of stuff going on in, like, bigger places, you know, and I think we need to address that. And they had also started having kids, you know, and they were like, I think that we also need to put them in a place geographically where they have, you know, more opportunity. Um, So after 10 years of marriage, they had three children, uh, Roy Jr., Frank, and Loretta, and they decided to move the whole family to the capital of Juneau, which is a really big city. It's very exciting, uh, especially compared to Klawak. Um, and indeed, there was a lot of opportunity for employment and education and housing, but not for them. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> almost immediately upon arriving in the city, they found this nice home. It was like Elizabeth's dream home in this nice area. And she was like, oh my gosh, look at all these kids and these families. And it's so close to the local public school where they can get a good education and they'll have friends in the neighborhood, whatever. But as soon as the couple, uh, you know, found this house and they applied for it, everything was seeming good. And then the landlord found out that, they had native ancestry 
Uh, so they refuse to let them rent the house. But they also have like some European ancestry. So I, well, it's like the same thing as the girl who went to school. It just like, doesn't matter. It just doesn't yeah. matter, you know. Um, and it wasn't just that, you know, that's annoying, but, you know, walking down the street in downtown Juneau, you would be hard pressed to find a place that allowed native people in the door. Um, and almost every storefront had no natives or, you know, even more derogatory, no dogs plastered on the front door of their establishment. And they obviously did not mean puppies. Uh, and it wasn't just native people who were barred from these places it was anyone who frankly associated with them a friend of elizabeth's who was a white woman named henrietta had married a clinkett man and she was walking down the street with her sister-in-law and like their kids and whatever and the next day she went to go get her hair cut and the beauty salon owner was like you're not allowed in here you know like you're dirty you're dirty and she was like she was like you know no natives allowed and she was like i mean i'm married to one but she was like i'm 100 percent swiss so like fuck off and the owner apologized and was like oh i'm so sorry i didn't realize that you weren't mixed come down have a seat you know i'll cut your hair and she was like uh no i'm not coming in here like fuck you you know it's like this is ridiculous, you know? And it's also really annoying that she's like, oh, sorry, you're just married to one. Like, I, you know, I thought... I thought that, you were I thought one. you were one. Oh, like, gross. Ugh, so... That leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, it's really fucking personal for Elizabeth because uh, it's affecting her family and her friends and these people she cares about. Um, and it seemed like she could let things against her slide a little bit. But now... You know, someone's telling her kids what schools to go to, what neighborhoods they can live in, how, who could they can be friends with. And she was like, this is affecting them. So now I'm like really pissed. So it's almost like they moved into the city for more opportunity and it's actually yeah. closing them all. Yeah. Okay. So she started pushing Roy to do something. She was like, this is your home. These are your people. These are your children. You need to step up and get more active. So he joined the Alaska Native Brotherhood and eventually rose to become uh, the president of the organization. Wow. Always crediting Elizabeth saying that she was like his manager, always organizing and pushing him. And, you know, he was like always not taking credit. He was like, this is all her. Like, I would not be doing this if it wasn't for her. Um, And she eventually joined the Alaska Native Sisterhood and became the vice president of that. Um, they did eventually find a home and it became some of the first native people to live in a predominantly white neighborhood. And Roy Jr. became one of the first native children to attend public school in Juneau. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but not long into their residency in Juneau, uh, they are definitely stirring shit up. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the first things that they set their eyes on was the biggest newspaper in Alaska, the daily Alaska empire. So this newspaper had been publishing the names and the ages of native children who had any kind of like run in with the police, even if it was like, you know, they were loitering. That's it so shitty. Names and ages. Like, what the fuck? Also, I feel like that's like really illegal if somebody's under 18. Right. And these are all like children. Um, and Elizabeth and Roy were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is not okay to do to anyone, but especially vulnerable minors. Like, stop it right. um so i don't know if they actually stopped uh but she was all over them about this so that was one of her first big uh kind of movements okay um and then so they're doing that 
And then World War II had begun, and Native men from all over were joining the military to fight for the United States. And Elizabeth and Roy decided that this was a good time to write a letter to Ernest Groening, uh, the governor of the Alaskan Territory. And they're like, all right, this is a good opportunity, and we're going to make it about a very specific problem. So there's a place in town called the Douglas Inn, and they had a big sign that said no natives allowed in their window. And they were like, hey, I don't know if you know about this, but this big place in the middle of town is like actively discriminating against the native people here. You should do something about this. She said, if a native man is just as willing to lose his life for the United States of America as a white man, then why can't we enter the same spaces? So she's kind of like taking opportunities at crucial times, you know, because like you can't really argue with that. They're no. like, they're fighting for our country exactly the same, you know? Um, we're not even a state. We're just right. a territory. We're just helping out. Yeah. And shockingly, the letter worked. Governor Groening um, agreed and he went to this place, the Douglas Inn, tried to get them to take down the sign, but they refused. And after that, he really seemed to get in on their side. He was like, this is not okay. What is happening in this territory? <laughs> Um, so with the, which is interesting because the rest of the United States is still dealing with like, yeah, segregation, really intense segregation yeah. and yeah. like sending like black men to fight in world war two as well. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but I think, I don't know if it was just like white blindness or whatever, but I like, he I saw it happen. He saw it and he was like, Whoa, he goes, that's not okay. And then I think it was a shock to him that they wouldn't even listen to him about it. Mm. He was like, I'm the governor. And like, you're not going to take this sign down. Um, so then Elizabeth and Roy started to kind of guide him on like where to put his energy. Um, so then he was like, okay, well, if like, that's a private business, you know, we'll save that for later. But the USO clubs, I mean, like that's the military. That's like some federal shit right, right there. You can you know? take that down. Yeah. Um, and he started going after them because they were banning native soldiers. And, he and we like, like needed people. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, again, these people are fighting for the United States just the same. Like, you can't not let them in. Um, so they did eventually let the Native soldiers in, but they still were not allowed to bring guests. Like, you know, they couldn't bring, like, one of their sisters or cousins oh, or something right. like that. Okay. Like, especially if they look Native. Um, so very small steps. <laughs> uh, but then he did create the Territorial Veterans Act, which provided loans up to $10,000 for veterans at a 4% interest rate, mm. which is crucial because the interest rate was 8% at this time. <gasps> so this made like buying a home really like attainable, much, uh, attainable for these native soldiers. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he really seemed to care about the people in the territory and was also constantly fighting in the U.S. Senate to make Alaska a state because they weren't a state yet. And yeah. that would have allotted them a lot more rights. Um, Ernest wanted to do more. Um, but there was also a problem with just getting things done in Alaska at this time. Uh, the Alaskan legislature only met every other like odd year <laughs> and, i don't even understand how that works and only for 60 days at a time so the Ew. chance to change things was very slim okay. they had a little tiny window so elizabeth was like okay the time's coming up i'm gonna take this opportunity and she got this group of ladies together and they go and they are lobbying 
all these different senators, um, in particular, Frank Whaley. Uh, and they would go to them and be like, this is the type of discrimination that we're facing. And they told them they're like very personal stories about their lives and how it affected them on a daily basis. Like we and our children can't live our lives here in this with all this discrimination. Right. Um, and this Senator Frank Whaley looked at them and he was like, well, that can't be possible because you're wearing nice clothes and you <laughs> look proper and you speak English. He goes, that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, well, I mean, shouldn't matter how we look like <laughs> how we're dressed or how we're speaking. Any native person should be allowed to exist in Alaska. Uh, but yes, it doesn't make any sense. You're exactly <laughs> right. Frank. <laughs> Um, <laughs> savages, savages. Exactly. Remember that song? Yes, it's on my running playlist because it makes me so angry. It's a really upsetting, it's a really good song. Um, uh, <laughs> so they continued to tell their story to any senator who would listen, and you know, with Governor Groening constantly backing them and supporting them. Uh, and together they start drafting the early versions of the Anti Discrimination Act. And this was a law that they were proposing that would outlaw discrimination in Alaska. Their first attempt did not go so well. Debates got really heated on the Senate floor. And Groening was especially upset because he had also been lobbying. He had gone around to all these senators and be like, will you vote yes? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. I'll vote yes. They all fucking flipped on him and changed their mind during the vote. And again, because they don't meet very often, it was another two years before they got a chance to pass the law again. So in the meantime, Elizabeth and Roy are traveling all over Alaska, encouraging the native Alaskan population to vote in the next election and encouraging some of them to run themselves for positions in the government. They were like, if more of us are in there, like this has a better chance of passing and we can affect more change. So... Their hard work did pay off. Roy's brother, Frank, and another Native man, Andrew Hope, were elected to the Alaska legislature, giving them more people on the inside to work for their cause. So, it's February 1943. Oof. And the time comes again to vote on the Anti-Discrimination Act. The government building where this meeting was being held is packed mostly filled with native folks from all over Alaska waiting to hear the outcome. And Elizabeth is sitting quietly in the back, looking down at her lap and knitting, <laughs> probably to calm her nerves. You have to do something. Yeah. I mean, she's literally waiting for the, for, what's going to happen after all these years of work. This isn't just like something she wanted to do in the past couple months. This is years of work. I mean, it's not like she could be like scrolling Insta. Like yeah, she had no. to like do exactly. something with her hands. Um, so the bill passes the house, but now it has to go to the Senate, which we all know these senators are like not in on this. Mm -hmm. um, and this very intense two hour debate starts. Senator Frank Whaley, whom we met before, argued against the bill, even though he acknowledged that it was like weird that these women weren't allowed places. <laughs> and his reasoning was, I don't want to sit next to an Eskimo in a movie theater because they smell. Shut up. That was what he said. That is on court record that he said that. That's like, 
it is such a stereotypical thing to like think they're dirty mm-hmm. is like the number one like i don't want to be near them they're dirty exactly um another senator argued against it saying it's fine if we all stay separate the real problem is the mixed breeds they are the real source of trouble it is they only who wish to associate with the whites white women have done their part in keeping the races distinct if white men had done (laughs) their job as well we wouldn't be having these problems can I put that on a tote bag? <laughs> if white men, I mean, just not in relation to this, just in general, if white men would do their job, we would not be having these problems. These, again, are real things that were said in the Senate. It's terrible. Uh, which I guess the only thing uh, white men are allowed to be blamed for is not being racist enough yeah, to yeah, keep yeah. the races They just separate. love having sex. They love it too much. <laughs> we also don't know if all that sex was consensual. So. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so now you see why Elizabeth needs to be knitting. <laughs> she's in the back and like she's she rage, like knitting. rage knitting in this courtroom or wherever this is. I'm going to rage knit. Um, I don't even know how to knit, but I, I bet I could do it angrily. <laughs> um, so all this stuff is happening. They're saying all these really fucked up things. But then it's time for some people to speak. Uh, Roy is asked to comment because he is the head of the Alaska Native Brotherhood. And he basically says, look, the Democratic Party has already adopted the platform of anti-discrimination. Like half of you are liberal Democrats. So this should be an automatic yes from half of you, Mm. you know. Uh, But other than that, you already know that blatant discrimination is prominent here. So when you vote no, you're basically saying that you are very pro-discrimination. And that leaves a pretty nasty legacy. And he's basically telling them, like, you're on the wrong side of history, buddy. Good. So you better vote yes. Right. Um, then a senator named Alan Shattuck stood up and said, who are these people barely out of savagery who want to associate with us whites with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind us? And then they opened up the floor to anyone else who might like to say something. Elizabeth puts down her knitting needles cause she's got some fucking shit to say. She walks over to the microphone and the room goes very quiet. And she said, I would not have expected that I, who am barely out of savagery, would have to remind gentlemen with 5,000 years of recorded civilization behind them of our Bill of Rights. And that is her most famous quote from her impassioned speech. But she, of course, did not stop there. She spoke with dignity about the inhumane treatment that she and her fellow Native Alaskans had been facing for years. But I think the way she kind of ended her speech is really impactful and still true today. She said, there are three kinds of persons who practice discrimination. First, the politician who wants to maintain an image of inferior minority groups so he can always promise them something. Mm. Second, The Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who aren't quite sure of their social position and who are nice to you on one occasion and can't see you on others, depending on who they're with. Hmm. And third, the great Superman who believes in the superiority of the white race. Which I think is also still true today. Like... It's unbelievable that, like, she was seeing this. I mean, like, in the 40s, obviously, it's very blatant. But, like, 
I, I hate that it's still true today. I mean, it's blatant now. And I think a lot of us sometimes like accidentally fall into those groups without even oh, realizing yeah. it. Um, I mean, I know I do on occasions when I don't mean to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what she's saying. She's like, you white moderates are also the problem. Mm-hmm. And she was like, it doesn't matter if you're nice to me one day. If like, you know, the kind of party switches around right, and or then it's like, like you, you talk about like shit yeah right here but then when you go home you don't do that to your neighbors like what yeah who are you then what exactly. are you doing um senator shattuck responded and of course asked her if she really thought that the bill would eliminate all discrimination she said do your laws against larceny or even murder prevent those crimes no law will eliminate crimes but at least you as legislatures can assert to the world that you recognize the evils of the present situation. You can speak your intent to help us overcome discrimination. And with that final blow, she was finished and the entire room erupted in applause with people crying because they were so moved by her words. It was later reported in the newspaper that Quote, the opposition was forced to a defensive whisper at Ooh. the close of that Senate hearing by a five foot five Klingit woman. <laughs> <laughs> Put them down, girl. Put them exactly. down. Um, and I want to say, so they open up the floor to anyone, but apparently only Elizabeth and Roy spoke on behalf of this bill. Oh, interesting. Um, so we can rightly say that when it passed with an 11 to five vote. And then it was signed into law on February 16th, 1945. It was truly thanks to Roy and even more so Elizabeth. So remember that the first anti-discrimination law in the United States was thanks to a native Alaskan woman. I mean, this is way, this is like 20 years before the like civil, civil rights, rights bill. Amazing. Yeah, this is incredible. Um, so to celebrate their success roy they and got elizabeth <laughs> they went out dancing <laughs> oh that's more fun <laughs> yeah at the baranoff hotel because as of just an hour ago they could oh that's so sweet <laughs> she continued uh her work to fight for native folks rights uh eventually turning her focus onto the red cross and trying to get health care for people which again we're still struggling with um the Paratrovich family later moved to Antigonish, Nova Scotia, Canada, where Roy studied the fishing industry at St. <laughs> Francis Xavier University. Okay. Uh, he was the first Alaskan to do so on a United Nations fellowship. Uh, and later they moved to Denver, Colorado, where Roy studied <laughs> banking and finance at the University of Denver. He's all I over the place. I know what he's doing. He's a student of life. He really is. <laughs> um <laughs> Then in 1954, Roy was hired by the Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, the FBI. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the family moved out of Alaska, out of Denver and Canada and wherever else they were. Um, and they moved to Oklahoma. Hmm. But shortly after they moved, Elizabeth discovered that she had breast cancer. No. They quickly moved back to Alaska so that Elizabeth could be close to her family and her tribe. After a long battle with cancer, she passed away on December 1st, 1958 at the age of 47. Wow. So young. She is buried at Evergreen Cemetery in Juneau, Alaska. 
Her oldest son, Roy Jr., became an engineer and designed a bridge called the Brotherhood Bridge, which connects the rural and urban parts of Juneau in honor of the Alaska Native Brotherhood. Her younger son, Frank, worked as the area tribal operations officer for the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Juneau. And in April 1988, Alaska Governor Steve Cowper established a day in April as Elizabeth Paratrovich Day for her courageous, unceasing efforts to eliminate discrimination and bring about equal rights in Alaska. Uh, the date was later changed to February 16th, uh, an observance of the day that the bill was actually passed in 1945. Um, so Elizabeth Paratrovich Day is February 16th. Unfortunately, her husband Roy never saw the first Elizabeth Paratrovich Day because he died just one week before oh. the first one in 1989, and he was so excited for it. What a so tragedy. Uh, since then, her life has been honored with some incredible acknowledgments. Uh, the Alaska Native Sisterhood created an award in her honor in 1992. Gallery B of the Alaska House of Representatives Chamber in the Alaska State Capitol was renamed after her. And on October 5th, 2019, United States Mint Chief Administrative Officer Patrick Hernandez announced that Paratrovich would appear on the reverse of the 2020 Native American $1 coin, making her the first Alaska Native woman to be featured on the U.S. currency. Or actually, Alaska Native in general. <sighs> Uh, not many people have heard of her, but thankfully that is changing. In fact, there is a PBS show called Molly of Denali. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> Where Molly, a young native Alaskan girl, learns about Elizabeth Paratrovich. And it's really sweet because it's just like this kid show, but she happens to be a native Alaskan girl and it go and like kind of follows her in her life. And in this episode, she learns that her grandmother saw Elizabeth Paratrovich make the speech Aww. and it looks so cute. Uh, we know that there's still work to be done with how native folks are treated, but it's also important to note what work has already been done by incredible people such as Elizabeth Wanamaker Paratrovich. And that's her story. Uh, so amazing. What a she's cool like, person. Such a cool person. Yeah. And, and like that I know absolutely zero about like her life and her culture. Yeah. She's amazing. Like, I'm big just waves, like big waves. so excited mm -hmm. about her and she's so cool. And yeah, I love her. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, you ready to get some more drinks and finish your cocktail caviar? Uh, chomp it up. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back. We are back for what might be the uh, shortest episode in a century. <laughs> a century. Oh, definitely shorter than Catherine the Great and Princess Leia. I don't. That might be our longest. That might be our longest to date. <laughs> I don't know to date. We've had ones that are up in the three hour range before. Okay, but Minnie Mouse and Ruth Bader Ginsburg shouldn't have been that long, but we were plastered. <laughs> and we were young That one is embarrassing. <laughs> I know when I reposted it after she passed, I re-listened to it and I was like, maybe I shouldn't post it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not complimentary. Like, is this offensive? <laughs> this is not complimentary to Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> at all. Um, but we're back with part two. Part and two. Vera Wang. Vera Wang. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> um, 
I again know nothing about the fashion world, so <laughs> well, I'm excited. Uh, and what I'm... do you know about Miss Vera Wang? <laughs> I know that she's famous for her wedding dresses. Mm-hmm, uh, I know that according to <laughs> uh, Anthony, uh, oh gosh, what is his last name? Oh no, Sex, Sex in the in City. city. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He goes. You want wedding? You go wang. Uh, <laughs> true, true. Uh, but yes, I know that she's a very famous wedding dress designer. But other than that, I don't know anything about her. Yeah, I'm gonna do a lot of listing facts oh, in perfect. this episode <laughs> because there Love just those. isn't like she wrote one book, but there isn't like a the life of the House of Wang, you know, okay. like documentary, which uh-huh. like. There is for a lot of other fashion designers at this point, but she's right. like still a contemporary of the fashion world. So yeah. there hasn't been like a culmination yet. Okay, perfect. Um, so what are we drinking in honor of her? So this is called Till Dress Do Us Part. Oh, <laughs> that's really good. I love myself. <laughs> um, and it is vanilla vodka and champagne mm. in a champagne flute. And then you just put powdered sugar or confectioner sugar, a famous person would call it, around the rim. Perfect. Or any actual baby. Did you say like a famous person would call it? <laughs> I'm a poor, poor smuck. Confectioner sugar is not a word for me. You have it on your nose now. It's adorable. Oh, do I? <laughs> I mean, it is delicious. I love it. I love mm. some powdered sugar and mm. champagne and vanilla. I love everything in this. So it's, it's just really so tasty. wedding dressy. Um, I do. <laughs> Like a famous person would say. <laughs> like a wealthy, wealthy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> confectioner sugar a la Hillary Clinton. <laughs> a la the Kennedys. <laughs> Jesus. Both of them come up in this story. Perfect. Uh-oh. spaghetti All right. Here we go. Obviously, I looked at Wikipedia and like some bio info. But most of this is interviews I watched via her online because there wasn't anything in depth. So I really had to get into her brain space. One thing that was really upsetting about her is that she answers questions so quickly. Like the person is still asking the question and she has formulated an answer, cuts them off and begins answering it. That's that designer brain. They have to be precise, precise on point. Miranda Priestley. Am I right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Vera. (laughs) Vera Wang was born on June 27th, 1949 in New York City, which I would not have put her as that old. Mm -mm. 1949 to Chinese parents who immigrated to the United States in the mid-1940s. Her parents were affluent and she had enjoyed a very privileged childhood (laughs) growing up in Manhattan's Upper East Side. Her mom, Florence Wu, worked as a translator for the United Nations. I love the name Florence. Really, Flo. (laughs) And her father, Cheng Xing Wang, or Wang, was um, a graduate of MIT and owned a medicine company. She has one brother named Kenneth. Her grandfather, though, back in China was like a warlord who was killed like oh during this God. like crazy incident in 1928 by the empire of Japan. So like she just comes from a long line of Chinese wealth. Okay. So we will not see in her story the traditional discrimination that you would imagine to see um against her family because she just outpriced immigration or immigration and discrimination and all of that it seems okay and she never brings it up 
and no other sources ever bring it up. So I'm assuming it was not a big problem. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like it. Like I, she's done very well for herself. Yeah. (laughs) Not that it doesn't exist. I just, sometimes you can buy your way out. (laughs) (laughs) If you have confectioner sugar, you know what I mean? (laughs) You rich bitch. So she she attended private schools in new york city first at like a friend's seminary and then went to a prestigious all-girls dance academy for her higher education she went to sarah lawrence college to get her degree in art history and then was like oh you know my junior year i'm gonna go study abroad in paris so she goes to paris and is like having a good old time studying abroad but before we get to all that When Vera was eight, she began figure skating. Mm. So Vera is a very talented figure skater. She trained all through grade school, high school, and even some of college. She trained in pair skating with a man named James Stewart and actually competed in the 1968 U.S. Figure Skating Championship for the U.S. Oh, my God. Yeah. She was featured on Sports Illustrated (gasps) for her incredible skating talent in the 1968 issue called Faces of the Crowd. God, she can do it all. She can. But she fell short of the U.S. Olympic team when her pair and her finished fifth place in the competition. So close. But yeah, I mean, she was up for the Olympics. That's insane. It's so crazy. And there's this adorable picture of her and her two daughters, like on the cover of a like Life in New York magazine and like figure like in skates, like on the ice. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Vera. No one likes that. Um, Except we all do. Everybody likes it, actually. (laughs) But Vera does continue to say that, like, ice skating is multidimensional and it's influenced her life in fashion in just so many ways. Mm -hmm. So when she didn't make the Olympic team, she hung up her professional skates. Like, obviously, she still does it, but she's like, I'm actually going to go as hard as I can into the fashion industry. But... She's also like a young woman and like a young, rich woman in New York. She was presented as a debutante. Can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, yes, <laughs> but no. Kind of. I would love to actually see one of these happen. I know. So hers, there's a thing in my mind where I'm like, that doesn't actually happen. It only happens in like Gilmore Girls. I picture people coming down a staircase with like white gloves exactly. on. Yeah. It's like Gilmore Girls and Gossip Girl. And that's like it. But I can't like, believe it, it's real. Actually, Charlotte York had to have done that. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet girls come out all over the place in Connecticut. Uh-huh. So she did it. And this is really kind of an only interesting piece of her background. When she came out as a debutante, it was in the International Debutante Ball at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. <sighs> okay. So there's an one. international one. Oh. So she, it happens every two years in New York, and it's for women that aren't, like, 100% white. So... <laughs> so was she not allowed in the other one, or did she choose to do this I, one? I don't know. There wasn't much about it, and I only saw it in one source. But it was just like she was in the international debutante ball that was at the Waldorf Astoria. Astoria. Okay. I so, would love to know more about that. I know. Vera. I know. Vera. Please tell me. us what's happening. We can have this cocktail together over yeah. brunch and you can tell me all about your coming out ceremony. Okay. Lucky for her. Um, she really just like took to her fame. 
right after college, she pretty much gets hired immediately by Vogue. And people are like, what happened? And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I would love to say I'm deserving. I would love to say I'm extraordinary. But that's just not how it was. Mm -hmm. When I studied abroad in France, I met some amazing women who worked for French Vogue. Then when I came back to New York City, I wanted to be a designer. I got my art history degree. And my dad said, I spent so much fucking money at Sarah Lawrence. I'm not paying for you to get your master's. If you want to be a designer, go to work. Go do it. Yeah. Go, go work. Yeah. Just and then she's out and she's a sales girl and she happens to sell Francis Stein like a blazer or like some pants or something. And she was the director of American Vogue at that time. And she was like, hey, um, when you graduate, call me up and I will give you a job at Vogue. And she calls her mom and she's like, oh, my gosh, I met the director of Vogue. I'm going to be working for Vogue. And her mom goes no, you're not <laughs> like, that's ridiculous to think <laughs> that this woman will ever actually remember, remember you, you yeah. ever, ever. So she was hired at Vogue <laughs> <laughs> as an editor immediately after what? graduation from Sarah Lawrence. She was 21 years old, which makes her the youngest editor at the magazine in all of Vogue's history. Wow. I also, I really like that. I love when people who are successful, kind of acknowledge the luck involved oh yeah in it you know uh, i was listening to an interview with mike sure recently and he was like i think it's like jimmy buffett was like asked like oh like you know you've worked so hard for your fame or whatever and he was like uh no i hit like the lucky lottery he was like <laughs> i was born to parents who encouraged me super lucky right i was born here in the u.s and i had you know the freedom and the privilege from like the, the wealth that my parents gave he's like you know it's not all like I did this because I worked so mm -hmm. fucking hard. Like sometimes it is. He yeah. goes for me. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> like, and I like that she's like, yeah. I would love to say that. Like I'm amazing. I'm amazing, and I did this all on my own, like grit. But she's like, I like the people when people acknowledge the the luck of the situation. It's I guess. really, it is really nice. And I wonder, like, if there was a movie about this, I can picture. Um, Francis Stein being like, and little baby Vera Wang, like uh -huh. hanging her, handing her a blazer and Francis Stein being like, why this blazer? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then like Vera gave it, yes. giving this like amazing answer. And then she's like, I'll hire you one day. Uh -huh. And then like, that's what she remembers. So we imagine, I imagine that's what happened oh, in yeah. my head that like mm -hmm. she had some insight into fashion that a normal, like little baby child working in a store wouldn't have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course it was an upscale store. If like oh, somebody yeah. from Vogue is yeah. shopping there, this is still <laughs> Upper East Side Manhattan. Like let's oh, yeah. not get that out of our brains. Okay. So she's 21, youngest editor. Um, then within a year, by the time she's 23, she's promoted to senior fashion editor. And she worked at Vogue for 17 years. Oh, my Almost God. Almost two decades. Vera Wang is an editor at Vogue. Um, she says, uh, if you saw Devil Wears Prada, then that is an example of Vogue light. <laughs> What's happening in that movie oh is not even close to how fucking hard it is. She says anybody educated about fashion was educated by Vogue, whether through the magazine or in person or just by like being in contact at watching it at shows. She was like, 
Condé Nast like changed the world and like all of us are like in awe. Um, she says that she feels privileged to have been exposed to that level of talent in any way, but it was sacrifice there, especially as an editor, there are no hours. You work all day, all night till the issue's ready and that's it. But to her, it felt like breathing every time she was there. Wow. Fashion to her was just like a breath of fresh air. Her boss was not Anna Winter. Um, <laughs> they're actually contemporaries. So Ooh, they're like okay. the same age. Um, that Frances Stein hired her. And then uh, Grace Mirabella was her boss at one, to- at one point. <laughs> point. Did I say toint? At one no, point. you were going to say at one time. <laughs> at, one, at one time. <laughs> oh, my. Um, and then uh, Polly Mellon. And Polly, um, Vera says, would come off the ele- elevator and be like, Vera! And, like, Vera was one of her three assistants. And she said she would start shaking when she knew she was in the building. Oh, my God. But she's just thankful every day because she taught her how to be organized and logical and over-prepared for every situation. And also, Polly would be at, like, a runway show in Paris and stand up and start cheering and being like, bravo, bravo. When everybody's sitting there with like their, um, too yeah, cool for I'm this not going to say anything faces, mm-hmm. but she was tough. And Vera definitely referred to her as a bitch in one of the Vogue. Documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> and Vera was like, that was inappropriate. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that, but it was true. But that's yeah. what made Vera so like strong as a fashion person. So, she decides to leave Vogue after almost two decades. Mm-hmm. Like the most famous like fashion industry in the yeah, world. That's a big risk. But she was like, look, I don't want to be an editor. I went to college to be a designer and yeah. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I've been to every famous fashion show. I've been to every famous thing. So she leaves and somebody decides to give her a shot as a designer. The wonderful Ralph Lauren. <gasps> Look at him. I Olympic know. designer himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she actually, we're getting to oh, that. Fun. But um, Ralph took her in for an interview and his question was, what do you hate about my clothes? Ooh. And she said, do you want to hear what I actually hate? Or do you want to hear like flattery? Like interview right. thing. Like. And he said what you actually hate. And she said, I won't say that here <laughs> on the interview. So we don't know what she actually said, but Ooh. he hired her on the spot <gasps> because of what she hated. Oh, that's so I want to know so bad. Oh. Vera, um, make it write a tell all. <laughs> um, number one, I hate your logo. <laughs> I said that. Who the knows? man with the polo. Nobody even plays that. <laughs> no one cares. Where are we? Ladue Gardens and <laughs> yes, Baltimore yes, County. <laughs> I mean, one of the things about Ralph Lauren is she had gone like Vogue is like the world school of fashion. Yeah. But Ralph Lauren is like the American, him and Calvin Klein are like, this is America and this is American fashion. So Mm -hmm. now she's getting this other taste of the fashion industry. And it's, it was just so like telling to her. So then she works for him for two years and she gets engaged and it's super late in life. This is 20 years after college. Yeah. That she's getting engaged. Um, and her mom was like, I'd given up on Vera getting married. Like, everybody's <laughs> like, is she ever going to get married? But she started she looking. came out, like, forever ago. My <laughs> God. God. <laughs> You've been a debutante for, like, a thousand years. 
So she starts looking for a dress and she and Ralph decided that he should not make it because like if he designed her dress and she hated it, she would be like, I'm going to lose my job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, your boss is like a famous designer. But when she was shopping, she was like, A, there's nothing modern. It's all veils and lace and sequins and cap sleeves. And also, there's nothing for a woman who's 40. Everything looks like it's for a bride who's 22 years old. And I don't want to look like that. Yeah. And it was actually her dad who said, I bet that there are more women like you. Vera, who don't feel like these dresses define them. And she says there's so many types of women, modern, traditional, sexy, and bridal never reflected women. Bridal reflects brides. It's like a pattern. It's a cookie cutter that you keep putting on all these dresses. So... She, after having her interfaith marriage, uh, it's like a Baptist for her, Jewish for him, ceremony to Arthur, who they'd been friends for years. She actually had her father help her out with some money so that she could start her own business. Very cool. Now, the dress that she bought for herself was a $10,000 dress that she kind of drew out and had somebody make for okay, her. Okay, so she did design her dress. She designed her own dress, but she didn't make her own dress. Okay, do we know what it looked like? Are I don't pictures? know what it looked like. You can find pictures. I did not I'm look. There were so many wedding dresses, but she designed <laughs> it, and that's when her dad gave her the financial backing. He was like, Vera, you're not the only woman in America who feels like this. Yeah. And Absolutely. Imagine typing in Vera Wang wedding dress. You're going to find know. all the wedding- I found Vera Wang's own wedding dress. Okay. <gasps> Is it beautiful? Let me see it. I mean, that must be. That's her. It's so fucking simple. That's absolutely her. That's her oh, thing. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's like a really simple silhouette, but it's like spaghetti strap. Like spaghetti strap, got a heart shape thing. And it's got just like these nice like scallops, like Almost like rosy scallops almost. Very pretty. Oh my God. She looks amazing. And simple. (laughs) And that was her thing. simple. There wasn't. Like, and she's gotten obviously more boisterous and avant-garde over the years, but Mm. she was looking for something that made her look her age and something like, you know, fashion less is more. Like when you're out there, you just want to look beautiful in yourself and she just. And you want to feel good. Yeah. I really. Comfortable. On my wedding day, like, I felt good. Yeah. You know? And that is so much of it. When you you feel good, you look good. You look happy. (laughs) You look comfortable. Yeah, it's so great. So in 1990, she opened her own design salon in New York City that featured her trademark bridal gowns. Initially, the Vera Wang Bridal House offered couture gowns by famed other designers because she's not a designer yet. So it was like Carolina Herrera and Christian Dior. But over the next few years, she honed her skills as a fashion designer and launched a signature collection. I'm like falling apart with my words here (laughs) of like streamlined, sophisticated bridal wear. Her first international attention, though, came in 1994 when she had designed a hand-beaded ensemble for Nancy Kerrigan, (gasps) the 94 Olympics, because she's a skater, and she's like, I can make a great 
skater outfit. So like <laughs> Nancy Kerrigan, who had just gotten beat to death, was like so the white one that she's wearing. Like at that several ones. Olympics? I'm not sure if it's the white one, but okay. She, designed one for her for that Olympics. So there's pictures of Nancy Kerrigan all over like the news that year. Oh. And Vera Wang designed the ice skating outfits for her. Oh my God. So she gets international attention from that. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> crazy. I would not have paired Vera Wang and fucking Tanya Harding in the same Universe. Universe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is so interesting. So then she's able to like open these bridal boutiques like all over the world, like London and Tokyo and Sydney. Present day, she has fragrances, jewelry, eyewear, shoes, like a home collection. She has stationery. She has crystal. It's absurd. But celebrity was not really a thing when she started her bridal gowns. When she opened her shop, the first, like, big-time gown she made was for a Kennedy. And they were, like, American royalty, obviously. But celebrity didn't exist in the same way. People weren't on the red carpet, like, who are you wearing at that time quite yet. So it was all word of mouth. If you got dressed by a house of fashion... It was a social light and they were super rich and you were lucky to attract attention if that social light would wear your stuff. Present day, she has been worn by Haley Williams, Ariana Grande, Chelsea Clinton, Ivanka Trump, Alicia Keys, Mariah Carey, Victoria Beckham, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Avril Lavigne, Hillary Duff, Chloe and Kim Kardashian, as well as Michelle Obama. And Charlotte York. Oh, uh, we're getting there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's ooh, not, okay. We're not all fictional yet. <laughs> Obviously, like I said, she dressed Nancy Kerrigan, also Michelle Kwan, also Nathan Chen, who like huh, just did amazing just... in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, for like all of her figure skating creations, she was inducted into the figure skating hall <gasps> of fame what? for fashion. That's very cool. It is. Um, she also designed the uniforms for the Philadelphia Eagles cheerleaders. <laughs> they, okay. The cheerleaders. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you said flyers. Oh, no. The Philadelphia and I was like, Eagles cheerleaders. cannot be cheerleaders for <laughs> hockey. No, 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 no. <laughs> Because, like, they get on your feet, get up, and make it happen. They're all nice in that. <laughs> That's why I said it. Short red carpet. <laughs> um, but, no, she, like... They they wanted something that was athletic and hot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we want to look like cheerleaders, but we want it to be comfortable while we're cheering, which is what you do for figure skaters. Yeah. So they were like, Vera Wang can do it. <laughs> and she can. And she did. <laughs> it's amazing to me. God. Um, She's also, for the red carpet, designed for Viola Davis, Sofia Vergara, Holly Berry, Goldie Hawn, Charlize Theron, Angelica Houston and Meg Ryan. Oh my God. Like all the big names, even fictional characters. (laughs) (laughs) She is designed for women on the West Wing, Gossip Girl, Revenge, both Charlotte York and Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) And then of course, both Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson in Bride Wars. But there's so much more to her. In October, on October 23rd. (gasps) My birthday. Ah, 2001, she launched her book um about weddings it's 
it is like her tell-all on wedding advice. Kind of like, Ooh. you know how Martha Stewart like writes those books, like everything you need to know about like a dinner party. Oh yeah, I have it on my actual like side table to my couch. Right, well this is just called Vera Wang on weddings. <sighs> and it's just like, yes please, Perfect. give me more. But she also realized that like she needed to design for like the everyday person because she is... Somebody who started her career when fashion was in ivory towers, but now it's not anymore because yeah. we have Instagram and social media where like you have to be quick and design and design and design. So in 2006, she reached a deal with Kohl's to produce a less expensive line of readywear clothing um, called Simply Vera, which like you can go and get. I love that. But around this time. Hillary Clinton is running for president and Vera's like, I'm going to go to a dinner to support her. Now, everywhere Vera goes, she needs her office. So she goes in this like a black van that has like her office in it. There's fridge, there's water, sketchbook, (laughs) everything she needs is in this van. Okay. So she has two drivers for this van, eight hour shift in the morning, eight hour shift in the afternoon. And then she's at this dinner for Hillary and she like jumps out because she's got to get back to designing and just jumps in her van to find three secret service agents pointing guns at her <gasps> and she realizes she jumped in the wrong van. Oh my god. <laughs> it was Hillary's van. <laughs> and then she said, "Oops," and climbed out <laughs> and just left. Perfect. <laughs> Oops. Uh, you know, Oops, we're <laughs> I uh, <laughs> This is a personal corner just cuz I'm really feeling it. Um Casey's grandmother down in Georgia sent us checks for Christmas and just wrote "Oops" in the margin line and like the note line. I was like, like, Martha, I don't know what that fucking means. Oops, I gave you too much. Oops, I gave you. <laughs> oops, I gave you too little. Oops. I don't know. <laughs> oops, oops. <laughs> and she said in the letter, "I'll explain the oops later," and she never did. Oh my god, what if she passes? <laughs> I don't understand what that means. Ask the oops. I, need I mean, to the know. checks didn't bounce, honey. Well, maybe she forgot to send you birthday cards or something in October, and then like for Christmas. Oh, that's fun. I don't know. That's going to be my new go-to. Oops. I'm going to write something spontaneous in the memo (laughs) line from now on. I'd encourage everyone to write a random oops in everyday life. (laughs) You know, like you're putting in your order at Starbucks and like it's online and you write your name as oops. (laughs) Could you imagine if they hieroglyphics that in Egypt 5,000 years ago? I would love that. Oops. Is there a symbol Um, for oops? Yeah, it's just nice to put that everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't um, even know what emoji means. Oops. Is it the face palm? Oops. Uh, I think it's the, like the one the guy has like a little circle mouth. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. So in 2009, she was asked to be on dancing with the stars, but she was like, that's not going to happen anytime soon because the fashion industry scheduling will never allow it. <laughs> They need me. No. <laughs> she also has a line at David bridles that range from $600 to $1,400. So really attainable in terms of her fashion. And she has a line at men's warehouse now of like rentable tuxedos. Oh. But in this same year, she and her husband announced their separation. Mm. Um, they do have two adopted daughters, Cecilia and Josephine. And she and her husband had been friends for years before they got married. So they remain friends now. And he's still an investor in her business. It's just like the marriage thing wasn't working out. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like her schedule's insane. It is insane. And I mean, she went from being Vogue to Ralph Lauren to her own business. It only got yeah. more hectic. Yeah. Like Ralph Lauren was like a reprieve <laughs> yeah. for her. 
Um, in an interview in 2013, she commented that her transformation from journalist to businesswoman was really painful because there was just limited freedom and choice because of the impact. And we see this scene in Devil Wears Prada where she's like, you see that blue you're wearing? That's a decision I made two fashion lines ago. That's why you're wearing that blue. And that's how she feels. She's like, I make tiny workplace decisions because I own a business and it affects my employees' lives. If I have to let somebody go or cut somebody's pay and she's like i make these small fashion decisions and they impact the red carpet and people's everyday lives at like kmart it's a big like burden to carry all the time Mm -hmm. and then there was some backlash towards her that year because people found out that in her shop in shanghai in china she was charging people $500 just to try on her dresses so even to go in and it was the only shop around the world where she did that And she said, look, the policy is to prevent counterfeit in Shanghai. And if it's a potential buyer, they pay me the money to try it on. And then I credit it towards the dress they buy. But because it just got so much international backlash, she just like abandoned the policy altogether. It. That is an interesting situation to be in. It is. Like, it's really hard because there is so much like counterfeit coming out of that region of the world. Yeah. I mean, we see it in like handbags and stuff. You know, constant. that's like a huge industry is like counterfeit, counterfeit handbags. And I totally understand where she is coming from. Right. And I understand how like it could be seen as like really fucked up. Um Wow, that is a really complicated situation. It is hard because it's like, you know, you can kind of, in the United States, there's just such bigger laws on, like, counterfeit and, like, copywriting and plagiarism, and there just isn't everywhere. Yeah. Well, and also, I think it's important, too, that she's like, no, like, they get, like, if you do end up buying, like, you do get a credit, but it also, like... What if they don't end up buying it? But then what if they don't end up buying it, and then you're, like, wasting $500? What if it's not till dress to us part? (laughs) I mean, if you're getting a dress from Vera Wang, like you've got 500 bucks. Like if that you're, is true. If, if you're, you're even, even shopping about there, it, like yeah, the, if you're even thinking about the it, the person paying for your wedding or you paying for your wedding is like, unless yeah. that's your end all be all. That's the thing that you're like, this is my hard right. line. I'm wearing a Vera I'm Wang a Vera wedding Wang. dress. Yeah. Who knows? Go to David's bridal then. Go. <laughs> She's got them. They're there. Ready to wear. Okay. So, um, Forbes did place her as 34th in the list of American, America's richest self-made women in 2018 with a revenue that year of $630 million. But she does acknowledge the ivory towers of fashion and says that it's become really important to be more personable. She says being around Armani is a religious experience and he calls it the temple of design. But you can't act like that anymore because she used to have time to research. And like the year that she won like fashion line of the year, she did all this research on that painting girl with the pearl earring. Oh yeah. And then all of her dresses like went back to that painting in some way. But she was like, we can't do that anymore. I have six weeks from start to finish to get an entire collection together. So I have to be personable. I have to be in touch with people. I have to stand out. Like it's just more important now. So she like says that success is not what she has ever thought that she's had. There is no key to excess. 
she's accomplished, she's educated, she's experienced. But what does success mean? Is it the designer with the biggest profit? The one that's respected the most? The one that's the most creative and free? The one that's the most consistent? They're all amazing in their own right. And that's what's so important, that it's not fame, but that you respect and are in all of the designers around you and really try to learn from them, which I think is just such an amazing view to have as someone who's so fucking famous Mm -hmm. because she could be like, yes, I am famous for my wedding dresses. I'm known all around pop culture. I'm referenced on TV shows. Most fashion designers aren't a household name. She is a household name. And I think that that's really cool. In 2019, after a two-year sabbatical, she returned to New York Fashion Week um, and celebrated her 30th anniversary of her brand. The show got very positive reviews, and people say that she just has a distinctive fashion DNA. Um, The show, however, suffered uh, serious footwear malfunctions when four models fell on the runway. Oh, no. One woman, like, twice in a row. And Vera's like, well, I don't design shoes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm like, oh. (laughs) Um, She also now has a jewelry line with Zales and what jared's mm-hmm. um and the least expensive they're very simple like white gold diamond rings the least expensive is six hundred dollars the most expensive is sixteen hundred dollars <laughs> for an engagement ring um and while she used to design on paper now she has a stand-in model hundred percent of the time that she drapes fabric over and makes like hundreds of pages of notes um her creative process involves mostly laying in bed crying, oh, no. <laughs> wondering how she's going to get her show out in six weeks because it's just too fast these days. Mm. Here's some fun facts about Vera <laughs> Wang. She designed a $1.5 million wedding dress out of peacock feathers. Ooh, It's okay. very beautiful. Male peacock feathers, I should say. Uh. Um, obviously (laughs) it's not brown (laughs) the most expensive dress that she ever made was never worn it was for j-lo and ben affleck's wedding no cross our fingers it might be coming (laughs) bring it back bring it back that's very exciting um it took her eight months to make it and then they broke up (laughs) it had 18 layers of like couture fabric oh my god absurd um her 10 million dollar beverly hills home used to belong to burt reynolds so that's i love that Mm -hmm. she owns a lightly armored black mercedes (laughs) g-wagon lightly armored lightly (laughs) okay um, her favorite place in the world is her bed, which I don't believe nobody that motivated loves their bed. I disagree. I uh, hate my bed. I hate it. No, I no, love no, no, sleeping. No. I hate my bed. Yeah. This is the thing. I think it's how, when Jake made a post about you years ago mm-hmm. and he was like, things about Ali that I love. And I can not, sleep anywhere. You can sleep anywhere. And that is something that no one expected him to say of you. Yeah. Because we are all under the impression that you do not sleep <laughs> because yeah. you are a maniac uh, <laughs> who does Absol- too many things in a day. I'm chaotic. Let alone a year. <laughs> um, you ju- like every time I talk about you, people are like, how does she sleep? And I'm like, she doesn't. But the yeah. thing is you do. Uh-huh. And that's why I do <laughs> wherever the fuck I want. Wherever the fuck you want. <laughs> And that's the only reason I am going to defend her statement 
is okay. that it is something unexpected. And I think you are an unexpected person who also gets a lot of shit done that doesn't seem humanly possible. I feel like you have to have a power nap no matter what. Do you take power naps? Oh my God. <gasps> I like, I will like stop really? and be like, I'm like, I'll finish something and be like, I'm going to lay my head down on the table and be done for five minutes and I'll fall asleep immediately. It, it is not hard for me to fall asleep. My power naps are just me laying in my bed for 20 minutes. I can't fall asleep. I'm like in the scrolling of the on your phone. No, yeah, it's I upsetting. can, I will like lay my head down, be out and be right back up. Doesn't bother me. Okay, this is making you seem a lot more human. I didn't know you took naps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But I don't lay I in bed to take naps. <laughs> I like sit at a table and lay my head down and pull. <laughs> <laughs> this is all making so much sense, Allie. I like will, and it'll be like a couple times a day. I'll just like lay my head down, pass out, and then wake back up ten minutes. But later. how do you wake up? Do you set an alarm? No, my body wakes. Your me brain up. wakes. <laughs> yeah. You set an internal alarm. <laughs> an internal clock. Allie, okay. get the fuck up. Okay. That's what I do. This is making me feel better because I'm like, okay, like, this is a biological difference between us. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm making really bad decisions in my life. <laughs> but I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really hard thing. There are some people who can just, like, go out and back in really quickly. And that's how I am. Okay. All right, so Vera also can do that, apparently. <laughs> um, so she also says that one time she accidentally wore two different color shoes to the White House, and nobody will let her forget it. Uh, she loves donuts. She has a 1,000 T-shirts that are organized by color in her house. Why does she have that many T-shirts? I don't know. She also loves golf, which okay. I, I would hate to watch her play golf. <laughs> what? Why? I hate to watch anyone play golf. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, recently, her 2019 bridal collection had no white wedding dresses (gasps) now in 2012 she did do like a black wedding dress like play kind of in there Mm -hmm. but in 2019 they're all nude with accents of yellow purple green and red and she said this was purposeful i avoided white ball gown skirts lace and beading Ooh, love that she likes to stay at the front and take chances she says if you're gonna work at the collection level then you have to if you're at the highest price point you can't be like cowering in a corner In terms of the future of fashion, she knows that there's going to be new materials. There are are fabrics you can't sew through anymore. You have to bond. You can't use needles. Sewing machines can't handle them. And you have to be able to deal with that. It's been over 50 years that she's been in fashion and over 30 since she's owned a business. She's arguably the most prominent designer of bridal wear in the United States and the world. And she's now in her 70s and shows no sign of slowing down. 70s. Amazing. In my head, she's always like 42. Well, that's Vera. (laughs) She's not. That's amazing. No signs of slowing down, this woman. I will say you prefaced that with a lot of like, there's not much on her. That was fascinating. I just really felt like everything was small facts and not a story. Yeah. So I kind of had to weave it. <laughs> you did a great job of weaving it, though. Thank and, like, you. I really enjoyed that. And, like, those are harder people to do. Because yeah. it's not the normal format. Like, I feel like some weeks I'm like, okay, born, early life, middle life, end of life. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. Life. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, here are the things that go on each page. Went to college, got turned down because <laughs> of the <laughs> patriarchy. <laughs> we <laughs> hate them. <laughs> But she just took such a different course mm-hmm. in life. And that's so fascinating to me. Okay. So now we need to talk <laughs> about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call just the two of us. 
Okay. Hmm. So, no, I actually think these are very interesting people to compare. Uh, number one, they have very different childhoods. It's not blatantly <laughs> obvious any comparisons. No, no. But I did find some near the end. Uh, but, you know, I mean, in the beginning, they seem like total polar opposites right you have very different childhoods one's coming from a very privileged um upbringing where literally money made discrimination go away right <laughs> right and elizabeth is not in that world like mm-hmm. <laughs> at all she's not even in a state <laughs> and also like elizabeth is passing away when vera oh. wang is a child so yeah. like, they have an overlapping gap of about eight years yeah and like, I mean, she was born around the time Elizabeth was just passing the bill, right. like, right, just getting to the point where she was like, things might get better, but didn't know that like a person like Vera Wang could do the things that she did. You and know? I'm also like so shocked that being an Asian American right after World War II had no impact on Vera. Well, again, it's like, and I do think that like money is such a big and being in new york it's and such being a in new york city as it is with that is people. very true um and i think the fashion industry and the civil rights world are very interesting to compare to each other because i think they're very they're both intense they're unrelenting you have to be a hundred percent committed no hours no hours you like it is a job that is your life because you also see a higher purpose in it and your small decisions make big impacts. They really do. And I think that also one is seen as really important because it is like the civil rights world, like working towards creating a more equal world is very important work. And I think that some people look at the fashion industry and they're like, Oh, like kind of like Anne Hathaway's character in devil wears part. Like that's stupid. Right. Why do we care about this? And the fact of that, because like it does affect things, it affects things. Again, people in Kmart are feeling the effects of what Vera happens Wang's decisions, yeah, and the feel like the decisions at Vogue, you know. So it's interesting seeing these two jobs that are lifestyles and how they're looked at as like one is very, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like egocentric one is egocentric yeah and one is really based in caring about others yeah it's very altruistic Mm -hmm. where it's like what's the the difference is so weird but they both follow the same path in those ways where it's like i started as the first lady of the mayor Mm -hmm. or i started working for vogue as Mm -hmm. like a background editor but by the end of my career i'm making a fucking speech in front of the (laughs) legislature because i really think things need to change and i think vera did the same thing by the end of her career she was like no there needs to be a difference in the wedding industry yeah because not every woman is cookie cutter yeah they made things accessible that were not before like if we talk about like you know obviously Elizabeth's talking about like basic human rights um and Vera is talking about wedding dresses and I just want to say that both are important it's kind of like the thing about like I think when we talk about these two people it's like oh like Vera Wang's not serious it's like yeah she is she really is really fucking serious and like both things are important because there is a trend to think that people who live below the poverty line shouldn't ever ever get nice things and i just Mm. don't think that that is okay it's like oh how could she go on like a weekend trip to ocean city when like she's struggling to pay her electric bill 
Right. And it's like, how does she have brand new sneakers if her kids don't have X, Y, Z or food stamps? And it's like, that's and it's like, not your okay, job. It's not say. your job to police other people's fucking actions. Like, and you also, can't control your own budget, you <laughs> idiot. It's also like people who don't have an, a, as much money as you also deserve to enjoy their life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And you it's still like have to live. I think that both of these women are saying the same thing. It's like, mm. no matter who you are in this fucked up world, you should be able to enjoy your life, whether that is feeling amazing in a wedding dress or being able to go to the movies <laughs> without being turned away. And both are about like enjoying your life. And I think that that's true of all things because you, when you were talking at one point, you said it's all about where you put your energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that Vera was about putting her energy into what people are wearing and how it makes them feel because it's also like when the Philadelphia Eagles called her, she wasn't like, no, I'm couture fashion. I don't do football (laughs) outfits, you know, like, But no, she was like, yeah, yeah, that's like a really cool opportunity for me. Like, let, yeah. it's going to be on TV once a week, every week. Like, yeah, I'll do, do that. that. Yeah. And also, it's, <laughs> I think it's important to note that these women are more than just one thing. It's mm. like, whenever I Google Elizabeth, she only comes up as like passing the civil rights thing. It's like, yes, that is a huge thing in her life. But she was also working on other projects to make people's lives better. And then you have Vera who's like, yeah, I'm not just a, I'm not just wedding dresses. Mm-hmm. I actually am a more nuanced designer than you're giving me credit for. Like, I can't believe that she is so invested in the sports world with her yeah. figure skating outfits and her cheerleader outfits. Like, I think again, that we do such a disservice to women with just you know, the pigeonholing that we do. Like I'm literally looking at a portrait of Rosa Parks and we only ever attribute her to one thing, sitting on a bus and not giving up her seat. And like when we covered her, it's unbelievable the other things that she was fucking doing. Yeah. And I I actually had somebody get upset when they found out that was planned when I was telling them that. Like there was a guy, another history teacher I was talking to and he was like, well, that cheapens it. (laughs) No, it doesn't. I was like, that actually makes it stronger. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) why does it have to be a spur of the moment? I don't know. Because it disrupts their idea of the little old lady. Right. And that's what people want women to be are accidental heroes. And I don't think they can handle people like Elizabeth and Vera who are very like purposeful heroes. Mm -hmm. They go out into the world and they say, I am going to change it. Not change happens that's pretty cool (laughs) they are going out and they're like i'm going to shake up the industry Vera is like i'm going to stay relevant none of these wedding dresses are white and i'm doing that on purpose and she had access as somebody who worked at vogue and ralph lauren to any wedding dress she fucking wanted yeah and she said i don't actually like any of these yeah i'm gonna be brave and i'm gonna fucking say it and then i mean her dad was brave enough to be like i think there's other people who feel that way oh my god i wrote that like I bet there are more women like you. Like, Elizabeth and Vera don't reflect the majority. No. And there are other women like them who are feeling the same way. It's kind of like how Elizabeth is gathering all these women and she's like, come to the courthouse and like, share these with these senators your stories. Right. Tell them the discrimination you're facing. It's not just me. And I know that. And I love that quote you said at the end where she's like, you can't be cowering cowering in a corner yeah you can't be afraid 
to do things that like aren't easy. Yeah. I don't know. And I think both of these. If you're out front, be out front. Be out exactly. Fucking rage knit. (laughs) Rage knit in the back of the courtroom. (laughs) All day. I've got to say, I am like real riled up after these two women because I didn't, when you're like halfway through, I was like, these women have nothing in common. Mm -hmm. But again, we always fucking find it. Oh, yeah. And I love that. Mm. All right. Her. Are you ready to toast? I am. <laughs> Who would you like to toast this evening? I I just want to toast people that grab their chances because <sighs> yes. you can say it's luck as much as you want, but a lot of people are given lucky opportunities and shy away. And they don't take it. Mm-hmm. And um, Vera took it. Anytime there was a, a fun opportunity, she was like, well, guess I'll I got it. Now. <laughs> Cheers. All right. I am going to toast women who keep calm during really uncalm moments. Mm, I can't do that. I get riled up. I get real riled up. And then I I can't form my arguments in my head uh -uh. because I'm too offended. I know. (laughs) And I'm just thinking about how I, I couldn't have been able to say the things that Elizabeth said at that Senate hearing. Right. I would have flipped the fuck out. But she stayed calm and she said what she wanted to say and what she needed to say. Because sometimes I feel like I don't say what I want to say because mm-hmm. I'm so upset. Angry, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just want to toast women who can keep calm because you are needed <laughs> and you are doing something that I cannot do. So cheers, cheers to the calm ones. Mm. All right. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I just want to give a shout out. <laughs> To Amazon and UPS drivers because I know there's a supply shortage and I like order shit every day and I just want to be very clear that I have a portico. (laughs) (laughs) These poor people drive in and out and like are so amazing and I know they're like getting paid and it's their job but I just don't think I think it's we're all like oh the mailmen the mail carriers let's leave them tips at Christmas (laughs) time and we just forget that like there is an entire delivery industry that gets a very little like praise for the same fucking job yeah i totally agree cheers to the people who bring me my packages in less than two days bless them thank you bless them that's it (sighs) my promo this week is so dumb Mm. but it's something i've been enjoying all winter and we're at the tail end of winter now thank god but i would like to give a shout out to oatmeal I have always been the type of person who like I buy oatmeal mm-hmm. every winter and Are I'm you like, a Quaker girl? I am going to eat this. Mm. I'm giant brand okay, okay. because I'm okay, trash. Okay. <laughs> I'm I, <a> <laughs> I buy uh, every year mm-hmm. I would buy oatmeal. Right. It would sit in my cabinet and I would never eat it. And then I just have to throw it out. Mm-hmm. So wasteful. This year, I was like, I'm going to start eating oatmeal. I have eaten oatmeal almost every day of this winter. (laughs) And it is delicious. It keeps me full. And I didn't know that oatmeal could make me feel so good. Because in the summertime, it's really easy. You know, like I just make a smoothie. and like, But in the wintertime, it's too cold. I can't do that, you Mm -hmm. know. And oatmeal is warm and it's filling. My favorite right now is pecan cranberry vanilla it's so good that sounds really good so i'm going to recommend oatmeal 
if you are looking for like a really nice, quick, easy breakfast, because <laughs> breakfast is one of my harder meals. Uh, I, I have agree. a really hard time with it. I always put in too much or too little water. Ooh, see, that's like a part of the draw for me. I'm like, is it going to be soupy today? <laughs> I, that is part of what makes me shy away. Oh no, I'm free handing pouring out of the kettle. Oh my god. And it's very god. exciting. <laughs> I would get mad at myself. So choose your own adventure, <laughs> buy your oatmeal. <laughs> Oh my. Okay. Okay. So thank you all for listening. This has been such a fun evening. We hope you learned some. We hope you loved some. And we hope you'll come back next week. Mm. And we also hope you'll rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because you have to. You have to. Jerk. By law. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have a Patreon. If you'd like to join us there, we'll be talking about something very fun after the show. Whoop, whoop. So if you'd like to hear some more from us, join us there. Um, but most of all, we want you to never, ever forget that well-behaved women only use yellow highlighters. Oh, God, they do. And they only never, rarely make, make history. history. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. He uses a fucking blue highlighter. That's chaotic <laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.